0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Welcome everybody, you are listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake, your host. I am joined for the first segment of our show, as always, by my esteemed colleague, our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer, live from Birmingham, Alabama. Kip, welcome again to the Red Zone Sports Report.
2: Chip, always great to be here. Looking forward to a rousing program tonight. We've got a lot of things on the agenda.
1: Kip, we got a lot of things on the agenda. We've got uh, we normally take uh, you know the first half of the show, and you and I discuss uh, uh, kind of recap what happened the week before in college football, and we preview a little bit of what's uh, coming up in the uh, following week. And and then in the second segment, we're normally joined by the Savage Burn and the Buffalo Bad Boy, and we get to talk NFL football. We are going to talk college football, Kip, but a major breaking sports story that. Just broke yesterday and uh and and certainly has some some twists and turns to it that broke this afternoon um, yesterday, the FBI announced uh, that ten people, including four college basketball assistant coaches, were arrested as part of a three year investigation into bribes and other corruption in the sport. Not only is this a major major sports story, um, but it it uh, it affects uh, uh the college basketball programs of arizona louisville oklahoma state u s c and then auburn and uh Auburn might be a program that kind of stands out kip is uh you know you, you generally don't consider auburn. Um, to be, uh, you know, to quite be at the at the level that other college football programs like in uh, Arizona or Louisville is. So I was really intrigued when I when I saw the news break yesterday about Auburn's involvement. It it uh, it, it is um, centered around one uh, assistant coach, Chuck Person, who is indicted, and we'll talk about a little bit that in a minute. Um, but look, the world doesn't revolve around Auburn basketball. Um, But in Louisville and in Kentucky, the world does revolve around Louisville basketball. And um, late this afternoon, the interim president at the University of Louisville um, uh, put on on unpaid administrative leave uh, head basketball coach, legendary basketball coach Rick Pitino, uh, as well as athletic director Tom Jurich, pretty amazing fall from grace for uh, for both jurich and patino uh if you remember kip it wasn't but a week and a half ago when game day was in louisville right outside of mm-hmm. papa john stadium about to uh, uh about to cover the louisville clemson game in which louisville laid an egg on the football field but uh uh the uh the guest that week was none other than rick patino and There's no evidence thus far that Patino had any knowledge of any wrongdoing, but let's face it, Patino's had some serious issues since he's gotten to Louisville. Um, He had the issues uh, about the sexual harassment claim that he had to defend himself against and had to settle on um, when he ended up uh, um, finding himself in a romantic rendezvous at an alumni event. Uh, with a lady that she claims got pregnant by Rick Pitino. Um, And then uh, you had uh, another assistant basketball coach who has since left the program uh, get caught in a scandal where uh, he was arranging, uh, let's say, uh, escorts for some recruits in some of the dormitories. Um, Take Rick Pitino at his word. He didn't know anything about that. And, look, Rick Pitino might not have known anything about this, and we have to wait to see exactly what the wrongdoing is. But, you know, it just certainly looked like Louisville um, was in a position, especially with the sanctions that they had uh, either agreed to or come to a, um, uh, or come to a coerced uh, agreement with the NCAA on. It um, looked like they kind of ran out of patience from an ethical standpoint with, um, with Rick Patino, but huge huge news in the world of college athletics, specifically college basketball. Kip, your thoughts on what happened yesterday and today, and, you know, is there more news going to break tomorrow? What does this mean for Bruce Pearl as the head coach of the Auburn basketball program?
2: Yeah, another coach that uh, has been embroiled in controversy before and uh, and and faced um, <laughs> dismissals and expulsions at different times uh, for misdeeds. Um, you know, it, it, in the Patino situation, I mean, how many times can you say, "Hey, I, I just didn't know anything about this"? I mean, you're running the program. It's it's amazing to me, Chip, that he survived the uh, the, the, the last incident that you described, which was, of course, the uh, really nefarious practice of hiring this specific escort uh, lady and even a couple of her daughters and some other women. To uh, come and entertain recruits in the athletic dorm named after Patino's brother-in-law, right on campus. This was an activity yeah. that they were uh, conducting somewhere uh, out in the in in the uh, in the outlying area. This was right in the middle of everything in the athletic dorm. So, um, you know, it, yeah. I, I, I predicted at the time that Patino wasn't going to survive that scandal, and somehow he did. But at some point, you just have to say, you know. I don't want to steal Harry Truman's line, but the buck stops at the top. And
1: you know, if Pitino
2: has every assistant coach on his staff uh, doing a a bunch of illicit activities, eventually he's got to be accountable. But I mean, I'm sure you're like me. Uh, When I was listening to the FBI press conference yesterday, um, as as disappointing and disconcerting as it was. Uh, i can 't tell you that I was surprised because it 's almost like a dirty little secret everybody knows that these shoe and apparel companies uh there's so much money in that enterprise and 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 all these amateur basketball programs and all these guys wanting to represent these kids um you know you heard the one quote uh, yesterday uh, that that uh, in a in and they, what they had they had caught somebody and and used them as their uh inside guy to uh, have him mic'd up and they've got all kinds of tape uh, all kinds of things on tape of all of these coaches and representatives and shoe company people making all these promises and delivering lots of money I mean they really have the goods on these guys but uh, one of them said you know if you latch on the right kid that could be worth millions to so many people and and it really kind of puts in perspective just how tainted the whole practice of of recruiting and and all of the ties of of, uh, you know, people getting envelopes full of money and and commitments to wear certain apparel. And uh, it, it it's something that I didn't find shocking. Uh, I guess it's just the scope of it and, and some of the programs involved was the really surprising part.
1: Here's what I found shocking, Kip, and, uh, and more details will come out of this. Um, Mark Schlaboff from ESPN.com, one of the great reporters that ESPN has. I enjoy reading Mark's stuff. Don't always agree with everything he has to write. But about 6.30 Eastern time, uh, about two hours before we started this podcast tonight, uh, he came out with an article. Uh, that he posted on Twitter that's on ESPN's website. Uh, the, the the headline of the article is The Step-by-Step Process of How the Words Corruption and Fraud Came to College Basketball. If you print it out on your printer, it's an 11-page article, but it details wow. in, in striking detail um, what led up to this scheme, the details of the scheme, the participants in the scheme, What I found most amazing is the the guy at the center of this scheme is a guy by the name of Marty Blazer. Um, He is a Pittsburgh-based financial advisor who just in May of last year, Kip, um, was charged by the Securities and Exchange Commission with wire fraud, and he was accused of siphoning $2.35 million from the accounts of several professional athletes in order to invest in movie projects and make Ponzi-like payments. So this guy was outed by the SEC in May of last year. It looks like about 80% of all of his wiretaps, because it looks like, from what I was able to read in Schleybar's article, 80% of the goods they got on this guy, uh, they got on all the all the defendants, was because of wiretaps that, that originated with Marty Blazer.
3: Chuck poison, Person
1: fell okay. into that too. We'll talk about that Auburn just a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, Kip it's one thing to be crooked, it's another thing to be stupid. Um, yeah. When you sure. when you read um, Mark Schleba's article, and he goes into into a great detail with respect to how Chuck Person got himself into this. I mean, here is Chuck Person, and let's be honest, he's an Auburn guy. I'm an Auburn guy. In full disclosure, but. He's an assistant basketball coach for the Auburn basketball team. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say if you're making a living in college basketball, that's not the program you want to end up at, um, especially as an assistant coach. And so, you know, unlike a USC or a Louisville um, or, uh, um, or an Arizona, Arizona State, um, there are a whole lot of NBA draft picks that come through the Auburn program. Look, we're happy if we finish 500 in the SEC. I enjoy going to basketball games. They're fun. Um, but, you know, if we end up losing the basketball game, Kip, I don't leave uh, Auburn Arena as disappointed <laughs> as I am when I leave Jordan Hare and we lose a, a game. Um, and, look, Auburn's a, it's a football school. Uh, it always will be. Unlike Kentucky mm-hmm. or Louisville, uh, Auburn is a, a football school. But um, this this guy – Marty Blazer ends up having a relationship, professional relationship, with a guy by the name of Rashawn Michael, who is a former SEC SEC basketball player, and then he was an NBA and college basketball referee. He now owns a a high-end clothing company in Atlanta, and he tailors high-end suits to professional athletes. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. remember, Kip, but a couple of years ago, Dominic, ended up getting in a fist fight courtside at an Atlanta Hawks game with somebody he said owed him money for a suit. That gentleman was Rashawn Michael
0: who was indicted uh, yep. as
1: well in in what happened yesterday. And, uh, you know, a person took no, over $90,000 in bribes to set up meetings with Auburn basketball players in order so that he could steer these players and their families towards Rashawn Michael, towards Marty Blazer, so that he could get a kickback, an upfront kickback on any future revenue that Blazer or Michael might make on these players. Now, Kip, you got to be a real dummy to enter into a crooked type of agreement with an individual who has just been charged by the Securities and Exchange Commission <laughs> with $2.3 <laughs> yeah. million of wire fraud in a Ponzi scheme, one's got to think he's looking for as good a deal as he can from the feds to, sure. uh, to lighten up on his liability. And if you're Chuck Person, you've got to be saying, you know, other than Mustafa Heron, there's probably not anybody on this team that is likely to play basketball at the next level
2: yet person
1: right. everything hook line and seeker and did it. When you and I don't want to uh, we got limited time so I want to kind of pivot and talk a little bit about uh talk a lot about college football before we end up uh before we end up uh talking NFL football but just amazing Kip that uh the depth of uh of of wiretap transcripts that it looks like the FBI has and it looks like as I said 80% of those transcripts Originated um, originated from one person, a a Pittsburgh-based uh, uh, financier who was um, uh, who had been charged not but three or four months earlier by the Securities and Exchange Commission with wire fraud. So going to be very interesting, Kip, to see where this goes. Um, I, I'm afraid it didn't mention any, any names of Auburn basketball players, but when you look at our roster last year. Uh, The top four players in minutes, there were three freshmen and one sophomore. And at Mm -hmm. least two of their families were paid cash in excess of $10,000. So you can bet that at least two of those four players, one of whom was probably never going to play in the NBA, is probably going to be ineligible and not be able to play for Auburn. So uh, uh, very disappointing, to say the least. But uh, moving on, Kip College Football. Uh, Really, another great weekend of games. Every weekend is a great weekend of games, Kip. But uh, this weekend specifically, we had a couple games that we talked about last weekend that we thought were going to be good games, and uh, some of them didn't end up being good games at all. Um, Vanderbilt was coming off of uh, their (laughs) first ever win against a top-20 program in Kansas State. Uh, They were playing an Alabama Crimson Tide team who had failed to cover the spread in two straight games and then all of a sudden one of the players from Vanderbilt Kip gives Nick Saban (laughs) a little bulletin board material and that bulletin board material turned into a 59 to 0 thrashing against Vanderbilt and Kip I believe the line on that game ended up closing at 19 19 and a half and um I got a tip from a buddy of mine who uh is an Auburn guy, or excuse me, an Alabama guy played golf with on Saturday. He said, "Take it and whatever pick 'em you got. Alabama's not covered two weeks in a row, and Vanderbilt's running their mouth. Kid, Vanderbilt should never run their mouth about their football no, program, never, especially when they're never. about to welcome Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide into uh, what is it, Commonwealth Stadium? Um, whatever it is, it's not a very intimidating place." for uh for the road team to come into uh what was the uh what was the buzz around uh around Birmingham around Tuscaloosa going into that game um uh, assuming that uh the, the players and the coaching staff and the media and the community of such knew of uh knew of such talk of a couple of the Vanderbilt players
2: yeah it it got around here fast in fact I do a uh uh, the radio station, I think it's 101 The Tide in Tuscaloosa. I do a uh, a report on Fridays, uh, just kind of come on and and uh, give some uh, some of my expert advice and and uh, and and what I said at the time was because all day the talk uh, here in 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 the Birmingham market and in Tuscaloosa was the. Uh, Kind of trash talking at the Vanderbilt players, uh, two different ones, uh, basically saying uh, the, the tide better better come in here ready for a fight because uh, you know we're we're ready to take it take it to them. Uh, I think that was all the incentive that uh, that Alabama needed to. Uh, um, I, I, I think they were going to wax them anyway. The talent difference is so amazingly different. Uh, I, you know, you you really see the depth of Alabama when they line up against a team like Vanderbilt. It's a conference game, it's away from home. I think sometimes in Tuscaloosa, you know, they play a little sloppy and make a few mistakes against the the teams that they they know they're going to beat. But uh, they were all business. This was a road trip, their first true road game, and I mean, Chip, it was fifty nine to nothing, and it could have been seventy nine to nothing. I mean, it just was that lopsided. It was. Uh, in, in fact, uh, you know it's a satisfying day for Nick Saban when, at the end of the game, they had just gone over 500 yards total the offense. They had the ball at the uh, one-yard line with just seconds to go. Saban ordered the quarterback to take a knee, and the, uh, a couple <laughs> players ran up to him and were encouraging him, "Don't don't have him do that because uh, then we're going to drop below 500 yards." And he was actually laughing out loud, that you never see. Um, no, so you don't. yeah, pretty relaxed outfit, and they just they just took it to Vanderbilt and really exposed the Commodores uh, as the same old Vanderbilt. Um, I I don't I don't know how you bounce back after a fifty-nine to nothing home thrashing in your conference opener.
1: No, and that's what I would call Kip tugging on Superman's cape. It's generally not <laughs> something you want to do because uh, there's a reason they call it tugging on Superman's cape because. He's Superman, right? And that's what the Alabama program is and Nick Saban is. They're Superman. They're the Tom Brady and the New England Patriots of the NFL. You you know, you you might beat them every now and then, um, but you're going to do it by sneaking up on them. You're not going to do it by tucking on their cape. Let's pivot a little bit to show how much much I know on my winners and losers portion of the program last week. Uh, One of my losers was the Auburn football program. And uh, I talked about how absolutely crazy the, uh, the odds makers were to make Auburn a 19-point favorite on the road against Missouri. Um, I watched that game, Kip, and now I know why that they made Auburn a 19-point mm-hmm. favorite on the road against Missouri. That Missouri team is really, really bad. But, look, let's give credit where credit is due. I've been very critical of Gus Malzahn. Um, and uh, especially how his offenses start, uh, I, I don't really feel like Jared Stidham is, is even has the potential to to kind of grow into the quarterback that the expectations he yeah, had. It just looks like he's playing scared. Got to take your hat off to Stidham at Auburn this weekend. They went up to Columbia, Missouri, and took care of business. Uh, but they were up thirty one to seven at halftime. Uh, final score in that game, kid, was 51-14. to 14. It really wasn't even that close. Look, Missouri is a football team that is in deep trouble. They are not going to win many games this year at all. But if you're Auburn, you've got to feel pretty good about going on the road. Anytime you can go on the road and win in conference, you've got to be pretty happy. Um, you, go, you go and play a bad football team, you should beat a bad football team, and that's what Auburn did. Uh, thoughts on Auburn, Missouri, and then uh, – We'll pivot a little bit and talk about Mississippi State-Georgia. And then specifically, you know, uh, talk about two teams uh, about to play each other this weekend, Auburn and Mississippi State. And and they've taken different paths the week before the game uh, than they did the week prior.
2: Well, you know, I I was trying to uh, emphasize last week uh, how bad Missouri was because I got wind of that after the – in week three, uh, I was – you know, if you look, if you look at the Missouri season, uh, they did win their first game, 70 to 43 against Missouri State, um, and everybody, you know, once again, I've got such a problem with everybody, uh, you know, getting excited about statistics when you beat a Division II team that shouldn't even count in your statistics. Um, and the but the, the Kim, real I appreciate you were, saying
1: that because I think Mercer is Division too. so I, yeah, I, I tend yeah, to agree right. with yeah. that so comment after the game two That, that
2: meant nothing. That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: right. Uh,
2: but you know, remember in week two, South Carolina went up there and laid a pretty good whooping on them at home. And you know, at the time, it was it kind of became fake news because. It made South Carolina look really good. They got off to their 2-0 and start. I gave even Will Muschamp a bunch of credit at the time. So what does South Carolina do? They come home and play Kentucky at home and can do nothing. Absolutely looked awful in game three. And then this week, South Carolina barely, I mean, has to come down the field uh, in miracle fashion and kick a field goal at home to beat Louisiana Tech. So South Carolina is not a legitimate team. Uh, that really – the Kentucky game was up trying to expose Missouri, who at the same time at home was losing to Purdue 35-3. to uh, Everything's falling apart there. They were the, – the book on them for this year was with, with Drew Locke and some guys back. They were going to have a high-powered offense. Chip, that program has just fallen apart. And
1: the sure university
2: has. is in disarray. I read an article the other day that their enrollment at the University of Missouri – is down 17 percent over two years ago. Uh, it's a school yeah. that's uh, that's that's really embroiled in a lot of. You remember from all the Ferguson and all the problems that happened in sure. the St. Louis area. Uh, the, the university uh, has, uh, like a lot of universities, kind of a a, a really a liberal kind of slant, and that doesn't. You know, that might play well in the new Northeast, but in, in a midwestern town in middle of the country. Um, that's a university that really has to look in the mirror and figure out, you know, their identity and their sports programs are suffering. They really sold out when Gary Pinkle, the longtime coach, left. They didn't go out and find somebody to lead an SEC program. They promoted one of their assistants who, frankly, just wasn't qualified. And uh, I'm sure Barry Odom is a fine fella, but uh, he is over his head. They've already fired their defensive coordinator, this this school made their their uh, reputation the last few years of having a good defense. But what has gone on there? I mean, this is this may be the worst uh, SEC defense I've ever seen. So it really sets up a fascinating matchup uh, this weekend to see. Now we have to find out if Auburn's for real.
1: That's right. And let's pivot to that a little bit. We uh, we're Auburn's playing uh, seven o'clock Eastern time, six o'clock Central uh, at home, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Really don't know what to make of that game, Kip. If you watch Mississippi State take on LSU two weeks ago, they look like a team that could contend for the national title. And then when you watch Mississippi State play this past weekend in Athens, they look like a team that was going to be lucky to be bowl eligible. It's very difficult to tell. I mean, this is not a team that's used to winning back-to-back games, especially conference games, big games. And that's what they had. I mean, they had a huge win against LSU. Um, the, The score... Uh, The game probably got a little bit out of hand. It made LSU look a little bit worse than they probably were. made Mississippi State look a little bit better. And that's no knock against Georgia. That was the criticism that Georgia fans were saying this weekend is, oh, beforehand it's can Georgia keep up? And now afterwards the narrative is Mississippi State was overrated. Well, the reality is I don't know which one of those two things are true, but what I do know is – Georgia dominated from the beginning of that game and that game was not as close as 31 to 3 and I worry, Kip, I worry that this could be the year for the Georgia Bulldogs to make a serious <laughs> run, a run that they have not made since Aaron Murray was quarterback. This could yep. year this could be the year to make a serious run if you're Georgia, um, and the schedule's pretty favorable for them as they uh, you know as they go on. They do play at Tennessee this week. You know that's normally a big game, but uh, I, I think Georgia is really going to take care of business at Tennessee. I think that program is struggling mightily. I'd be surprised if they win by less than two touchdowns. Then they go at then they go to Vanderbilt. Then they have Missouri at home. Then they have Florida, and I'm just not buying the fact that Florida is a good football team. They lost no. to Michigan. All the players that were suspended got indicted on felony counts this weekend. You know, they had to have a Hail Mary to beat a bad Tennessee team. Uh, how they won the Kentucky game is beyond me. They could easily be 0 3. Um, then Georgia plays South Carolina, who's now depleted with injuries. Then they play Auburn. Yep. That'll be an intriguing game, especially if Georgia comes to the, to the Plains undefeated. Then they play Kentucky and Georgia Tech. I've got to tell you, schedule looks pretty good for the Bulldogs running the table, moving you know, from here on out. What do you expect from this Georgia Bulldog team moving forward, Kip?
2: Well, I mean, I think you're seeing in their defense, Alabama East has arrived in Athens. Uh, Kirby Smart has built an Alabama-style defense in just two years, and that's pretty astounding. Um, they, they their their linebacker crew is just phenomenal, uh, and they've got a, they've got really young guys on the on on the on the defensive front and in the secondary, but they're really deep. They they really stockpiled some athletes right away. They're playing some young guys and they're all contributing. They've got just enough veterans. That defense is so fast and so physical that uh, they're going to give anybody trouble. That's the difference of of this team and a Mark Rick team is they had great defensive pieces, but they just never seemed to have great defensive units. Uh, They were always prone to to just uh, losing their intensity at the wrong time and making a big mistake. Uh, This defense so far has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, And, you know, Nick Fitzgerald was made to look bad. And and I'm telling you, that's the biggest uh, concern if you're an Auburn fan this week. Which Mississippi State team is going to show up after that beating? Um, that's is it going to be a Mississippi State team That's lost completely their swagger And now, gosh, we got to go back on the road Because I think Auburn's going to show up and play really well I think Auburn's feeling good about themselves I think Auburn's going to come to play Mississippi State better have their A game Or they're going to take their second straight road loss But if Mississippi State kind of regroups And says that wasn't us That was just uh, too much going on the road For a second straight week Or, or going on the road after that big, that, after our big win I should say now we're gonna to have to do it again, but uh, uh, I I I think I know what team Auburn's gonna show up. I am not so sure which Mississippi State team. I I think this is the game of the week, and uh, obviously uh, Auburn's getting a lot of. Uh, you're talking about the odds makers. Auburn eight and a half or oh, nine point favorite over Mississippi nine, State. It's at nine kind of points right
1: now, Kip, and that might be even more shocking than the 19 point line on the road. 19 yeah. point uh, line on the road the week before. I I really thought this game would be a touchdown game. Maybe even you know somewhere between five and a half and six and a half points. Nine points right now.
2: That's amazing. Um, also, I, I've got to say, the Kentucky Florida the saga. Uh, there are some, there are some great long running horror movies, Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween. Uh, but Kentucky Florida now has had thirty one editions. You cannot find a way to lose a game the way Kentucky did unbelievable and it's the typical fashion they cannot break through the last drive Florida goes down and takes the lead with less with less than two minutes to go Steve Johnson Kentucky's quarterback makes a huge fourth down completion uh, an impossible throw and catch all and they're basically on the fringe of field goal range they run a draw play uh, with one timeout left in 12 seconds and what uh, to our wondering eyes does appear a penalty flag <laughs> thrown by one of our favorite SEC officials holding on Kentucky. Guess what that does? It it moves yeah, them out of
0: field. Imagine players.
2: that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hard to believe that the SEC officials would have a, a a role in it, but everything that could possibly go wrong in the last five minutes did for Kentucky. Florida did nothing the entire game offensively and somehow managed two touchdowns. And the Kentucky debacle at the end, uh, and 31 years in a row, uh, the Wildcats have fallen
1: to the game. It is it's unbelievable. Either, if you're Kentucky, I mean, excuse me. If you're Florida and Jim McElwain, you 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 are either running on, you know, you're on borrowed time, or you know, a lot of times when when teams win a couple games like Florida has won the last two weeks, sometimes they play the remainder of the season like they have nothing to lose. You know mm-hmm. and, and uh I don't know that Kentucky has all the pieces to do that. Uh, excuse me, that Florida has all the pieces to do that i yeah. I have Kentucky in my mind with all the basketball drama going on, Kip, but I oh, don't know yeah. that Florida has all the pieces to do that, no. but it it's going to mm-hmm. be interesting to see real quick, Kip, before we take a short break. And uh, we talk about uh, NFL and, and welcome a new guest as well to uh, 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 to the program this week. Um, big, big game up in Blacksburg this week between uh, a surprising, and I say surprising, I don't know that anybody expected Virginia Tech to be the number 12 team in the country and be 4-0 uh, at this point in time. Uh, I don't think uh, a lot of people would be surprised uh, if you would have told them Clemson would have been number 2 and 4-0, and but... Very intriguing matchup up there. Second time in a row, excuse me, second time in the last three weeks, that Clemson has, uh, you know, had a major conference game nationally televised on the row. They went to Louisville, took care of business. Now they're going up to Virginia Tech and Blacksburg. Handicap that game for us, Kip.
2: Well, I I think this is going to be a better game than the Louisville game, amazingly, only because uh, I think the biggest factor in the Louisville game was that Louisville's defense just isn't very good. Uh, Clemson's offense, which I thought was a question mark, if you look at the Auburn game, Auburn's defense played a great game against their offense, only held them to two touchdowns. I thought uh, going to Louisville, uh, they were going to get outscored. Uh, Turned out to be totally wrong because Louisville's defense couldn't stop them. But their offense, uh, you know, you people look if people look at the final score from last week, I think it was thirty-one to seven against Boston College. That game after three quarters was seven to yeah. seven at Clemson. A lot of That's people don't right. realize that. Uh, and then uh, once they scored a couple of touchdowns and got a pick six, and um, it might have been it might have final made it might have actually had been thirty-five to seven. I think they scored all touchdowns, four of them in the fourth quarter. But the bottom line is uh, I still think Clemson's offense a little bit of a question mark. Virginia Tech is strong defensively. Um, I, I watched that first game of the year. It's the only time, uh, honestly, I've seen Virginia Tech against West Virginia. And it was a real barn burner back and forth. And I think West Virginia's got a really, uh, a really nice team. So uh, I was impressed with the Hokies. Um, you know, teams have gone to Blacksburg in the past and pulling uh, a little bit of history uh, and and they have uh, had a difficult time, so I'm not going to be surprised to see a close game. But I just think in the Ann Clemson's defense is uh, not going to let Virginia Tech score enough to win. But I think it'll be a really entertaining, uh, albeit low-scoring game.
1: Kip, real quick, how do you handicap the Bama Old Miss game this weekend? 9 o'clock Eastern Time game, 8 o'clock local time at Bryant Denny Stadium. You know, we, really, we really haven't seen a lot from this Old Miss team. This is their first conference game. They opened up with uh, non conference wins, I think, against South Alabama and tennessee martin then they go out to california take on a cal bears team that's a pretty good football team they uh um you know they ended up losing i think by uh, just over a touchdown to southern cal this week this past week uh, so you know it certainly looks like cal's pretty good football team um uh, old miss got out to a 10 point lead and ended up losing that game by 13 points just looks like they ran out of gas and they uh played a little bit too late maybe uh out there but uh yeah. It's hard to tell. This old Miss Team has I think got one of the better quarterbacks in the country in Shea Patterson that nobody's talking about. Um you know, he, uh, he and, and Jacob Easton two years ago were the consensus number one quarterbacks coming out of high school. Um if you're Alabama you really haven't been able to look at a whole lot on film, what do you expect out of this game coming up Saturday night?
0: You
2: know, I I, I got to a tune in. Uh, it was close to the half uh, that night because that, as you recall, at the same time as that was as that game was going on out in Berkeley, uh, which um, the the Cal Ole Miss game, that was when the USC Texas game was such a dramatic uh, deal uh, going into yeah. overtime. So I I didn't I didn't join the Cal the Cal Ole Miss game till late in the second quarter. And uh, right, right up until the half, Ole Miss was even threatening to score and widen that lead. The second half, I'll confess, uh, um, I got to about midway through the fourth quarter, but uh, the game had kind of lost its, uh, its interest because Cal just came out and, and pretty much uh, shut off the, all the uh, escape lanes for Shea Patterson, didn't let him get outside kind of forced him into a kind of a pocket passer role and and they just couldn't uh, their offense just stalled. So I guess that's the big question mark as as talented as Patterson is, um, you know, teams are probably going to try to start taking away the, uh, the the running element of his game and he's going to have to beat you with his arm and being young and still pretty inexperienced, he's going to have to show he can do that. Um, Alabama coming off the big 59 to nothing win, they go home. They're a 28 point favorite against an SEC team that still has some pretty talented players. Uh, I think that line's too high, but um, um, I, I, you know, and Ole Miss has been a thorn in Alabama's side for the last four or five years. So this might be a chance for them to unleash a lot of frustration on the Rebels too. But uh, at the same time, I think an SEC opponent and a, still a quality team out you know, even though they have an interim coach, um, I, I think the Rebels will hang in this game and 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 be able to score a couple times. Like you said, Shea Patterson's so talented. I don't I don't look for him to be totally stifled. And Alabama at home just doesn't seem to have the killer instinct. It, as as odd as this sounds, yeah. uh, just looking at the last couple of years, they don't they don't seem to be quite as lethal at home uh as they when they go on the road they just seem like they just pound people so it's kind of it's kind yeah, of an interesting do. dynamic it might be a saving us against the world we're going on the road it's a business trip maybe he has their attention more uh thoroughly on a road game than he does at home because uh if you look back they they really don't cover at home a lot if you're looking from it from a point spread standpoint
1: yeah, and I tell you, it's, um, you know, look, for most teams, you come off of a 59 to nothing road win. I don't care if it was at Vanderbilt. You know, of I a mean, completely dominating one sided performance. And as you said, that game could have been 70 to nothing, could have been 75 to nothing. It wasn't even that close. And so, you know, you come back after that, you got bulletin board material up there, you got an Ole Miss team who's playing his first conference game, and they've had two weeks to prepare. It's just hard to tell what you're going to get out of the Rebels. I don't know, um, but I will be watching because it's a 9 o'clock Eastern time game. I'm going to be yeah. over in Auburn this weekend, Kip, taking in uh, Auburn-Mississippi okay. State but uh that game will conclude uh, hopefully by the time that uh that Alabama and uh, old Miss kick off so hopefully I'll be back at the uh back at the RV by then watching a little bit of football nice. but uh Kip, we got a uh, we got a lot more to discuss, but we're going to take a break right now uh, for about a minute, and then on the other side, we are going to talk uh, NFL. A lot to talk about in the NFL. Uh, we got Donald Trump interjecting himself into the national anthem, so uh, players and teams respond to the president's comments and tweets, and then uh, what an amazing array of one o'clock games this weekend, where you had three mm-hmm. games conclude on the last play within a five-minute time frame around 410 Eastern time. So we're going to talk about that as well as uh, preview some of the games we have, and we're also going to welcome a uh, guest to the Red Zone Sports Report this week. So don't miss it. We're going to take a 60-second break, and we'll be right back on the Red Zone Sports Report. Live to the Red Zone Sports Report. It is Wednesday, September 27th. Yes, it's Wednesday. We normally come on on Tuesday evenings, but for two weeks in a row for different reasons. We've moved the podcast to Wednesdays. Uh, next week, we're going to go back to a regularly scheduled time at 8:30 Eastern Time on Tuesdays. So, uh, for those uh, for those of you listening, we appreciate you listening in on Wednesday instead of a Tuesday. We will be back next week on our regularly scheduled time. We now want to talk about NFL. We got a lot to talk about NFL. Uh, the Savage Burn, Mister Steve Butler, who normally joins us every week, is not going to be joining us this week. He is on a much-needed vacation with his family. It is fall break in the Metro Atlanta area, and Mr. Savage Byrne is doing what every good father and husband does. Uh, he's taken his wife and his kids to the beach. So I certainly hope Steve is enjoying some R and R, and he's going to catch. Uh, he's going to uh, going to circle back with us next week on the Red Zone Sports Report. What a welcome to the first time uh, to the Red Zone Sports Report, Mr. Call Musio. Uh, Cole is uh, uh, a, a frequent rider for Breitbart Sports and in uh, college basketball uh, tournament season we've had on Mr. John Pudner who uh comes on and in, in his absolute encyclopedia of knowledge of college hoops. Uh Cole and uh writes for Breitbart Sports, but he also has uh has a, a website called drafttech dot com. And uh we want to welcome to the Red Zone Sports Report, Mr. Cole Musio. Cole, thanks for joining us on the Red Zone.
0: Hey guys, thanks for having me.
1: Cole, tell us a little bit before we get going, tell us a little bit about uh a little bit about draft tech. Uh and it's T it's it's draft T E K dot com, right? It's not T E C H. Tell us a little bit about that website, how you got involved with that, and what it is.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a great website and for those that are interested in the NFL draft uh to to me and obviously I'm a little partial but uh it's it's one of the best sites to make sure that you're frequenting because we're updating the draft all the time uh we use kind of an interesting model where each team has an analyst and so I'm the analyst for the Oakland Raiders and the uh Baltimore Ravens lifelong Raiders fan so I I'm I'm a little bit uh a little bit mourning over the debacle this weekend sure. but <laughs> um, but uh, the site constantly updates the draft. We're doing a, a new mock about once a week now, uh, even this far out. We're updating power rankings. We've got analysts for each team. So there's real insight the each of the 32 teams. And uh, you're kind of getting a little bit of a Homer kind of perspective from from each of those teams, from, you know, real fans and real people that are, you know, riding the highs and riding the lows of every win and loss. And so it's fun. We, we've got a really good big board team. Our draft is, you know, we're all, always featured on the Hull Report. And, uh, you know, and so our, our draft is compared with a lot of others. And, you know, it's it's a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of frequent updates, and it's, it's good information. So I hope you check it out.
1: Well, Cole, it's good to have you on the uh, Red Zone, and I appreciate you kind of walking all of our listeners through draft tech. Also want to welcome to the show, live from Buffalo, New York, the Buffalo bad boy, Mr. Pete Taskin. Pete, before you start, uh, before uh, I ask you a question about a football game that kind of happened in Orchard Park this week, uh, I don't know if you caught it on the previous segment or not, but Kip was talking about the Missouri program. and and, and uh, talking a little bit about the administration. how's was a little liberal leaning, and I remember Kip said, you know, that might not play well in the Northeast. And the first thing that came to my mind was something that would play well in the Northeast, and that's Buffalo Bills football this weekend. Tell us a little bit, Pete, about what happened in Buffalo. We were talking a week ago about how crazy it was that the line – that the Bills had against the Denver Broncos was such a small line, given the overwhelming and dominating victory that Denver had the week earlier against a Dallas Cowboy team that we all thought, or a lot of us thought, could go into a mile high and beat Denver. But, uh, Pete, congratulations on the football game. Before we get started on other topics, tell us a little bit about how the Buffalo Bills won that football game.
3: Well, good evening, Chipper. Good evening, everyone. Uh, glad to be back on the Red Zone Sports Report. Here, great win for the Buffalo Bills. You, you knew there was a, there was something on, something going on there with the line, right, Chip? We talked about it last week. We did. We, we talked it the about the it. We sure did. We did, and 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 I I I think I, I went there. I, I don't quite call it, recall it, you know, specifically, but. I think I said something to the effect that I like this spot for the Buffalo Bills this week.
0: Yep, I think you did. You
3: asked me why. And and the the main reasons were, and I think they they had an impact on the game. First of all, we did not know what type of team we had. The, the, uh, The sample size is just a little bit too small under a new regime, under a new coaching staff and all that. We saw what they did against the Jets, but that doesn't really count. We saw them basically uh, get get beat in a, a field goal fest against Carolina and a defensive slug fest there. Uh, didn't really know what we had. This was kind of a, a truer test in the heat. The heat in Buffalo, one of the hottest games in the history of Buffalo Bills football, almost 90 degrees. We knew that was going to be a factor. We knew Denver coming off the huge win against the Cowboys was going to be a factor. No doubt they, they were not taking us fully. 100% as an opponent that they couldn't basically walk away from uh, with a victory in any way, shape, or form. And then last but not least, they were coming across the country and for a 1 o'clock football game. And, and it all played in. And at the end of the day, it was just another dominant defensive performance by the Buffalo Bills. And the offense was good enough, efficient enough, still not giving us enough. And and that's what takes us to this week's opponent. Atlanta, I won't go too deep into it. I don't know where you want to go with this. This is the true <laughs> test of what type of team the Buffalo Bills have this year. I do not feel nearly as confident this week as I did last week in a potential victory. I'm actually leaning more towards a potential blowout in favor of the Coons but we shall see about that. Great win for the Bills, though. Great well,
1: I'm I'm happy to hear that. I certainly hope the Bills team that takes the field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium is is a lot like the Mississippi State team, who dominated LSU the week before <laughs> and then traveled on the road and laid an egg in Athens. Um, with all due respect to the Buffalo Bills, I hope that's the team we're getting. But, uh, but you never know. I mean, you never know. I mean, the Falcons are coming off a big win, too. So we'll, we'll end up seeing what happens. Cole, we're going to go ahead and kind of, we're going to pivot you. we're going to put you on the hot seat your first time on the Red Zone Sports Report. We normally (laughs) take an hour and we talk about everything NFL football. We talk about the games, the the crazy games from the week before, and we preview the games the week ahead. But we're going to talk a little politics to begin with because – this is a sports podcast, but so much of what happened around the NFL on Sunday uh, was political. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a Sunday like it, and it really all started, uh, I think it kind of all started. And I'd be curious to get your take, Cole. I think it all started with uh, an interview that Steph Curry gave kind of towards the end of last week, where um, you know he didn't say he wasn't going to come to the White House when the Warriors get an invite to come to celebrate their national uh, championship, NBA national championship. But he kind of alluded to the fact that he he might skip the event. And uh, I think uh, Trump being a Donald Trump, uh, President Trump being a connoisseur of media and uh, a connoisseur of television and and, uh, and and social media saw that, decided he wanted to get out ahead of it. Uh, I believe that, that he sent out a tweet on Friday morning of last week in which the president said, and I'm quoting, uh, going to the White House is considered a great honor for a championship team. Stephen Curry is hesitating. I think he even spelled his name wrong. Therefore, the invitation is withdrawn. And that was at uh, 8.45 a.m. Friday morning. Then the president Friday evening travels to Huntsville, Alabama, in which uh, a race that you're very familiar with, Cole, and I know that Kip is very familiar Mm with, uh, to do a rally for Luther Strange. And um, in in the rally for Luther Strange, he says, quote, wouldn't you love to see one of those NFL owners, comma, when somebody disrespects respects our flag, comma, to say, comma, get that son of a bitch off the field right now. He's fired. He's fired. And, of course, when the President of the United States um, uses rhetoric that that is that, is that charged um, on a Friday less than 48 hours before kickoff on Sunday, the NFL week, there's going to be some backlash. There's going to be some response by the team's, we saw a wide variety of, uh, of, um, of uh, different ways the teams handled it. The Dallas Cowboys all knelt together right in front of the American flag before the anthem started, and then right as the anthem started, they all stood up and they held arms together. We saw the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers all stay in the locker room with the exception of Alejandro Vill- Villanueva, who thought he had a couple teammates behind him who were captains and they were going to come out just a crazy weekend where, you know, it, it mm-hmm. seemed like, uh, you know, um, we talked a little bit at the beginning when Colin Kaepernick kind of started this last year. We talked about it, but we really kind of saw it this year a little bit. I mean, you know, uh, I Kip and I were talking about it beforehand. I mean, the president, you and I talked about it. The president really. He really thrives on division, which is unusual, right? Because normally, mm-hmm. whether you're a Republican or Democrat, we want presidents to bring us together. That's not this guy's M.O. It's never been his M.O. And so, you know, he is uh, he has created a firestorm, or at least continued a firestorm that started last year. Call puts you on the hot seat. Give us uh, give us your take on uh, on on Trump, uh, the team's backlash, the uh, the national anthem, and where this where you think this is going from here.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've never seen I've never seen anything like what I was seeing on on Facebook and on social media this weekend. It was just it was depressing. I mean, to see the the level of intensity and in the in the rhetoric uh from folks all over the country. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, some of it you know, I agreed with the spirit, but didn't agree with what people were saying and the way they were saying it. it was just a whole lot of not walking in somebody else's shoes, I think on on every side of this issue, but you know, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I imagine that a good chunk of this started when when Donald Trump came to the realization that he was about to go to Alabama to back a loser, and that his health care bill was up in flames, and began to yeah. look for what can I get people to, to talk about subject, instead of yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you're a really good opportunity to change the subject, and so he got he's gotten people fired up over. Something that a lot of people love to defend. That's the flag. That's the country. That's the, that's the military. Um, many folks do associate this protest with an attack on uh, basic patriotic principles. They don't associate it as sure. you know, a call to make the country better, but they uh, you know, perceive it as an attack on the country itself. And then attack most yeah, interesting you know I, the
1: I, I kind of viewed it, and i didn 't even think about the Alabama component, but you know I, I really saw it as a way i think he he had an idea that health care was going down, and he is a master at changing the subject. Um, oh, yes. uh, we can we can talk all day long about how he does that and whether it's appropriate and whether it's the right thing. But you know he's a master at doing that. But you 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 put in you know you you put on top of that the fact that he was going to Alabama to campaign for a loser and somebody who was down in the polls before he got there. And it certainly looked like the president's trip and the vice president's trip didn't help Luther Strange at all. He ended up losing the race by about the same margin of which he was down before the president and the vice president came to Alabama. So I think that's, I think that's oh, yeah. probably right. Um, and now that that race is over with and his candidate has lost, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here, especially in light of the fact that there's a huge humanitarian crisis going on now in Puerto Rico. Pete Tasca, your thoughts on this weekend on the national Anthem? of Donald Trump, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera.
3: Oh, geez, Chip. I mean, where, where do we even go? I mean, you know, very where do well we begin? It's hard goal. to begin. Yeah, where, where do we begin? I mean, I almost feel uh, a little naked without the savage burn in this conversation. I mean, this is a <laughs> out right here. I mean, get, get off the beach and get into this conversation. We needed him tonight for this, but just to give my, my two cents, and, since you did ask, I, I'm I, President Trump got my vote, uh, and, and and it's 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 such an interesting dynamic that that has been created by by this gentleman on, on so many different levels. Um, you know, and there there are a lot of things about Trump that he represents, and that, he, that he's able to accomplish, or has accomplished, or endeavoring to accomplish that that I'm in favor of, um, especially you know when, when considered next to the uh, the opposition. Um, that we had the choice of voting for um, in, in terms of you know the, the election last year, but anyway, all, all that to say about this week, uh, I, I kind of live by the, the, the credo of, of all's well that ends well, and and you know him u- utilizing that that terminology, you, you mentioned it rhetoric, you, Chip, you even said it verbatim what what he said. And speaking essentially to a predominantly black audience, NFL football players. Let's be honest, a good yep. what seven percent of, of NFL players are black, and many of them come from uh, you know only maternal only backgrounds, without any fathers in the home, who revere their mothers in ways that, that many of us may not revere our own mothers, um, and their grandmothers for that matter. It was it was just so offensive, even to those who are in support of Trump, like myself. However. And, and the all's well that ends well kind of, um, you know, way of looking at it, he did exactly what needed to be done in terms of what the NFL players need to do on the heels of what Kaepernick has started, and that's to rally together and start to do more for what Kaepernick started this whole thing, you know, over in the first place, which is to get out into this community and start their communities in, in their hometown, in their adopted NFL town, and start engaging in, in what needs to be done at the grassroots level in all these communities where so many people continue to suffer, and there still is racism, obviously, and there's still oppression and all the different things that, that people are, are, you know, rallying over. Get involved. in he created unity. That's my point. The created unity amongst the vast majority of the NFL football players, the ownership, by virtue of his rhetoric. So he actually accomplished something very positive, even though his methodology was pretty much, you know, a double S backward if you ask me. But, hey, if this is what the, the catalyst of change needed to be to get these guys moving forward, to start doing more uh, for the people that they represent, you know, more, most importantly, uh, again, their communities, then, then, you know, hey, it, it was worth it. It was worth it, in my opinion.
1: Fascinating perspective, Pete, very fascinating perspective. Kip, give us your thoughts on uh, on Trump uh, National Anthem, and then we'll uh, go ahead and pivot into uh, some of these games this weekend, some fascinating NFL games, and then we'll preview, if we have time, some of the games from uh, week four of the NFL.
2: Well, I, I've been really embroiled in this and really heavily involved in my uh, – my new role this year, which has been very interesting, uh, anybody who's listened knows that I've been involved in sports radio for a long time, had an opportunity this year to do news and politics on our sister station, Talk 99.5. And uh, so we have been involved in this Senate race um, you know, virtually since the first of the year when the uh,
0: new governor,
2: who took the place of our corrupt, uh, shamed, uh, kicked-out governor, <laughs> uh was was removed from office and she declared that there would be a special election uh to fill Jeff Sessions' uh seat that he had de- departed from to uh, take the attorney general's job um Luther Strange had pretty much a lock on everything if he just would have uh uh you know stayed the course and 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 uh, anyway it is it, they'll be studying this campaign uh, it's too bad that Hillary already stole what happened as a title because <laughs> Luther needs to write the sequel uh, Everything that could possibly go wrong I mean, you, and I know Chip, you make your living in politics um, sure. Every, every move that was made on this campaign By Luther Strange campaign has blown up in his face And it was odd that Trump even chose to come here And back what was obviously going to be a losing horse on Friday But the rally was so bizarre it was a ninety-minute uh, speech by Donald Trump. He barely mentioned Luther at all. It was supposed to be. It, it was. It was, it, it was a Trump theft. It was. It was. This, and 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 he got all into the whole deal with a, a, a overflow crowd of almost ten thousand folks in the Von Braun Center in Huntsville, but obviously he had been told and cued to say, "Hey, you know, you're going into Alabama here." you need to mention football as often as possible. Because I'm telling you, he made four or five references in that 90 minutes of remarks uh, regarding Auburn and Alabama. He said, we're just going to keep winning like your football teams here in the state. There was always those kind of references. <laughs> and, I, you know, people, people say that this was scripted. You know, listening to the lead-up to the remarks, I mean, he went off script so many times in this thing that I'm not sure he just kind of stumbled into this because – he was talking about patriotism and he was talking about the military, and all of a sudden it's almost like it popped in his head. he goes and, and like and like these football guys that are that are you know protesting, <laughs> blah blah blah, and use the unfortunate s o b line, uh, I don't think this would be a firestorm at all if he just would have inserted the word guy instead of s o b if he just said, "Don't you love it if an owner called down and said, "Get that guy off the field, he's fired." I think people would have not, you know, reacted. I mean, I think people reacted to it, but it was just the acerbic use of that language, which is something that he is famous for. Um, You know, his his tongue is a loose cannon. Let's face it. Um, But you know, the dynamic, and I'm a little frustrated because I'm glad you read the quote exactly, because I'm convinced about eighty percent of people that are reacting so to this. Um, you know, or, uh, Even conservative news Networks like Fox are reporting uh, He called NFL players who Protested SOBs And that's not exactly the Context of what he said And uh, you know that may have been The intent I'm not defending him here But uh, you know I, I think A lot of times it, we live in a Soundbite and headline society And uh, so the reaction was, was volatile as it should be With the use of that language I think the players have every right to uh, their First Amendment right to, uh, to protest and speak their opinion. But I'm personally offended, and I'm probably in the majority here, that they have to choose to do that at the time where the colors are presented and the anthem that's the symbol of our nation. And really the intent of that is to honor the heroes that have made the liberties we all enjoy uh, and, and, and the opportunities that we all pursue possible. So, you know, I wish there was another forum. I, I, I wish that, uh, that, that, that the players, you know, would stand and, and honor their country that has, uh, you know, we, we talk about oppression. Uh, you look at the, the dictator in North Korea and, and what's happening in Venezuela and, and so many places where real oppression is, is, is evident. And not to say that we don't have major problems in this country. We absolutely do. But I love what Pete said. You know, let's let, let's take those on head-on. Let's let's stop let's stop making a uh, a show of it and grandstanding uh, on all sides of issues. And NFL players have a unique forum that I don't think they recognize. They're celebrity and their 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 level of income and their their uh, they've got a stage and they can use it. And I think a lot of people would be galvanized. I hope this. I I I hope Pete is right. I hope this is is a opportunity to kind of spark some change that's that's much needed in this country
1: yeah and who knows i mean you know if this continues and if the president continues to tweet about it it gives us an opportunity to talk about it every week on the podcast and if we're talking (laughs) about it other people are talking about it because it's newsworthy and you know it was it was newsworthy for for you know, uh, for a majority of last season, but you know, it was really newsworthy at the beginning of the season, and then you know, then we kind of pivoted on and talked about football. You know, this time the president of the United States is engaged in this in this um, in, in this space, and he and he and he is using rhetoric like he, rhetoric like he's using. So uh, it could give us an opportunity to talk about it more. Let's pivot and talk football a little bit. Cole, I'm going to go to you um, real quick. The Baltimore Ravens have an undefeated preseason. They go 4-0. and They start the regular season 2-0. and They go across the pond to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they just didn't lose the football game on <laughs> Sunday. They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, if you lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars by a point, it's a big defeat. They lost 44-7. to Cole, you know this Baltimore Ravens football team. You, you you cover them. And and the Raiders, how does this happen?
0: Well, you know, Baltimore won against the Bengals and the Browns, so those those initial two wins may have been a little Good bit point. overstated. But this Jags team, you know, it may be really interesting to follow throughout the year because you know, they, they, they lost in week two pretty bad to the Titans but they they destroyed Houston in week 1 they destroyed Baltimore this week so maybe there maybe there could be a one week on one week off kind of team but there's some real talent on the defensive side of the ball there and i don't you know obviously they went across the pond you never know what you know what kind of effect that that trip has on a team Baltimore's a team and i I've written about this a lot on draft tech their team in the transition they've got a quarterback that's Really, I think has been overrated for now for a number of years. I think he's a subpar quarterback, but not necessarily so bad that they've they've drafted at the position to make a change. Even they, they they put in Mallett at the end of the game to try to give some sort of spark, but there's not not a lot of offensive playmakers for Baltimore. Uh, you know they've drafted reasonably well. The defense is okay, but it obviously obviously didn't didn't do well against Jacksonville. But Jacksonville to me is going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch this season. Uh Just because the level of talent they have and 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 how they how well they've drafted in recent years, and obviously the addition of Campbell and others on that defense they've spent big money in free agency um they could be good you know well it would be interesting to see if the jags have been really bad for a long time.
1: It is if they can stay healthy on the defensive end, I think they are a team that is that is capable of making a playoff run now. That's a big statement to say about the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they've got all the pieces to do it. Pete, let's talk to you. Let's talk about the three games. Uh, We're going to talk about one with you, but three games just came down to the last play all around 410. We're going to start at Foxborough. Get your thoughts on Patriots, Texans. You know, this wasn't a game that was supposed to be this close. This wasn't a game that Tom Brady was going to have to come from behind and end up having to throw a touchdown pass late in order to win. But I, I tell you this. Uh, this Houston Texas team, this Houston Texans team, which looked absolutely atrocious in Game One, um, you know uh, they gave New England all they could handle. And Deshaun Watson, as young as he is, made some mistakes, threw a couple picks, but you know on the road against the defending Super Bowl champion, um, you know he he does his job and, and makes Tom Brady take the field uh, with under two minutes in the fourth quarter to beat you. Now. You know, Tom Brady's going to beat you most of the time when he gets that opportunity. But, you know, I think Deshaun Watson fared pretty well. You know, I I know you see the Patriots twice a year when the Bills play them, and you probably see the Patriots (laughs) play a lot more than we do down here in the Southeast. Give me your thoughts on uh, New England-Houston this weekend.
3: Well, allow me to start by saying that for about 15 minutes between the end of the Bills' big win on Sunday and the end of that football game, uh, between the Texans and the New England Patriots, we were so excited for the fact that we may be able to say that the Bills are alone in first place in the AFC East at 2-1, and one, <laughs> and the Patriots are 1-2. We wanted one week to celebrate. It's been 15 years. We wanted one week, and sure as could be, there was never a doubt that Tom Brady, when he got that football back at the end of that game, that he was going to score that touchdown. In the mind yeah. of Buffalo Bills fans, Through our lens, there was never a question that he was going to score that touchdown. And if I may be a bit prophetic here, Chip, I'm just going to call it right now and plant that seed of of fear and anxiety further and deeper into the the hearts and the souls of Atlanta Falcons fans. I'm predicting (laughs) the Falcons and the New England Patriots in a grand rematch in the Super Bowl this year, and I'm sorry to tell you that Brady is going to break the hearts of the atlanta Falcons Nation once again. I hate to tell you now it's so early in the year, but I can see it already. Anyhow, all that to say Deshaun Watson was phenomenal. I mean, you, you really can't say enough about how great that kid played in that football game under those circumstances, you know, with, with that kind of pressure against that type of football team. Just so impressed with that kid on so many levels. Once again, tying it into the Bills. Doug Whaley, our our GM, who who, who they they showed the door a couple of months ago if he would have just drafted him in the second round like we should have. It would have been so nice. But, unfortunately, he's good for Texans fans. He's there in Houston. Great, great football game by him. Jadavian Clowney was an animal in that game as well. Almost made the play at the end of the game. I believe it was him who had a hand in the face of Brady and almost got him down before he completed that touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. Not to be, unfortunately, but a great football game nonetheless. Really, really great football game. One of the best of the weekend.
1: Fantastic football game. I'll take my chances if our Falcons go back to the Super Bowl. Look, I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady if that happens. A little early after week three to be predicting Super Bowl teams. However,
3: it certainly Um, looks like right right now. (laughs) Hey,
1: you haven't seen. You know, we, we could lose the, uh, the first game this weekend. You might be thinking secondly about I'll it, but bet. we'll see. Kip, let's yeah. talk about uh, another football game up in the Northeast this week. The the New York Giants, just they just don't look like they can get anything going offensively. Um, nothing in game one, nothing in game two. They are held scoreless through three quarters against Philly this weekend. They scored 24 points in the fourth quarter, including two Odell Beckham touchdowns, despite the fact that he got uh, an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for for imitating a dog peeing in the end zone. We don't really have time to get into that, but I thought I'd throw that in there. But, uh, you you know, you you really thought the Giants had it kind of put together, certainly looked like they were going to go to overtime against Philly. And, look, they could have lost the coin toss and lost that game in overtime. By the way, I hate the way – Uh, Overtimes are decided in the NFL Many times it does come down to a coin toss But how about the rookie Elliot with a 61-yard football Excuse me, a 61-yard field goal To put the dagger in the Giants And the G-men To start the season 0-3 Kip, did we lose Kip? Kip, can you hear us?
3: Yeah, Yeah, can you hear
1: us, Kip? Yes, I can hear you. Absolutely. I, I absolutely we can hear you now. I was uh I was asking about your thoughts on the uh, Giants uh, Eagles game, the end of that game yeah. and how uh New York scores 24 points in the fourth quarter and it's still not enough to sneak out a victory.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Giants really got it going finally. Um it, it just it, it it's so funny in football how when things are going bad, it's it it, it just seems to snowball further and further down the hill, but if you can stop it and just get it to go the other way a little bit, then the dam breaks. And I mean, the Giants could do no wrong in the fourth quarter. They were, they were just on fire. Uh, The Eagles had 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 enough of a lead where um, they weathered the storm and, and uh, it came down to the very end. And it was almost like, um, uh, you know, and I'm I'm going to identify my age here, but I, I am going to qualify by saying I was just a young fella. Uh, I remember distinctly the game way back when, when uh, Tom Dempsey trotted out with uh, his half a foot and, and, and made a 63-yarder to beat Alex Karras and the Detroit Lions. Uh, it, it was almost the same feeling. You just you, you, you see these guys come out and you go, oh, yeah, right, he's going to make a 61-yarder. And the guy just nails it right down the middle and, and ball game over. Uh, it, these kickers are phenomenal. Matt Prater at Detroit made his 14th consecutive 50-yarder further field goal. We watch college football crazy, a lot, Chip, and, and, and watch these these uh, shaky LaRue kickers in college can't make a 25-yard yeah. field goal. These NFL guys right. are ridiculous. I mean, it has gotten to the yeah. point where a 50-yarder, Matt Bryant in Atlanta, who, what is he, 67 years old? Matt Bryant yeah. makes, I mean, if he's, if he's 50 yards, uh, it's a chip shot uh it's it's yeah. just unbelievable to me so i i guess we're just going to continue to see that but uh yeah new york giant nation the bad news is you're 0 and 3 the good news is you got to feel like you found your offense now and uh, i look for the giants to to really have a good next couple of weeks because the, the personnel still there uh, I, I I I I don't really understand, and I didn't understand people thinking they were a Super Bowl contender with their stable of running backs. Um, Perkins is not a big time superstar running back, and 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 you know with all the resources they have, they really should acquire somebody that that uh, that, that that could be a, a top quality back. Shane Vereen's a good third down back, but. Uh, The bottom line is I thought they were really weak in the running game, and that's kind of played out. But uh, it looks like Eli got it together, and they got too many good receivers and too many good pieces on defense to be a struggling team. So I think maybe the silver lining of losing that game is we're going to see a better New York Giant team in the next few weeks.
1: Well, I hope so. I'm not a, huge, uh, not a huge New York Giants fan, but I do have Odell Beckham on my fantasy team. So it was good to see him finally get in the end zone a couple times. So I hope they, uh, I hope they do straighten it out. Cole Muzio, let's talk a little bit about uh, that game up in Detroit this weekend. After week three of the NFL, only two undefeated teams in the entire league, the Kansas City Chiefs and our Atlanta Falcons. Uh, never a doubt, was there
0: Cole? No, never. Never. I mean cuz the Falcons have never been in a big game where they really just at the towards the end of it just fumbled it away. I mean they there's there's no game in recent memory where the Falcons have really, you know, tailed off in the second half. I can't think of it. <laughs> I, I yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean they, they get ahead and then 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 they pile on, right? Oh, wait a second. I'm sorry. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's how the Falcons roll no they I mean they look really good I mean they, they've had they've had a had a great start in the season I mean I hate that you just reminded me that you know my dreaded Kansas City t- Chiefs are also 3-0 and uh, but the Falcons look really good I think they're as safe of a bet as any I think that the AFC is going to be a little bit tougher to get through I mean I know New England's loaded and, and even though they they've started off a little bit rockier than expected um, you know they're they're still a, a somewhat safe bet, but the AFC's got a, a little bit more punch to it. I think the Falcons are the safest bet of any team in the league to make the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I tell you what, the the Lions though they they may have something. Um, the Lions are looking good. Uh, Matthew Stafford, you know, didn't have the most efficient passing game, but uh, you know, I, I think I, I think the Lions Lions may have something. But the Falcons are. They're just they're just ahead of everybody else in the NFC. That's what I'm seeing. So, you know, I think uh, I think it may be another Super Bowl opportunity. I'm hoping hoping they can put together a full game if that if they make it back. <laughs>
1: well, I hope so too. But they got to welcome the big bad Tyrod Taylor led Buffalo Bills this week. So,
0: <laughs> you know, into
1: the Mercedes Benz Stadium. So I don't want to I don't want to quite look ahead to the Super Bowl just yet. We've got to take care of business this weekend. Speaking of taking care of business this weekend, we got time before we take a short break and talk winners and losers. Probably, and Pete Task, I'll go to you and get your thoughts on this. Um, probably the most surprising development or the most surprising game of last week um, was the Thursday night game. And because it was so early in the week and because it was before – Trump's tweets and his speech in Alabama and Steph Curry, it seems like this game was three weeks ago. But, you know, when 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 you turned on the remote control last week and you, you turned on the NFL Network and you saw the Thursday night game was the Rams and the 49ers, it's kind of a buzzkill, right? Until you watch the football game. What an incredible football game. I mean, you know, uh, this Rams team and, and this 49ers team, both of them have new coaches this year. 41-39, um, uh, um, that certainly looked like a game that could be a 7-6 to six game or a 9-7 to seven game. It didn't look like it. It was a game that had the potential to look a lot like the first half of the Florida-Tennessee game um, from college football a, a week back. but. That was a very entertaining football game. Brian Hoyer actually looked pretty good. Um, I'm telling you, Sean McVay, who is a local product here from Atlanta, um, uh, offensive play caller over at the Redskins last year, um, uh, took a big chance on him at, at, I think, 32 years old to to give him the reins of a football team in such a big market like L.A., but – Certainly looks like at least early on he's been able to get through to Jared Goff. He's always been known as a kind of a good quarterback coach, but uh you know, uh, could could this I think it's probably a season too early for the San Francisco 49ers. They don't quite have the pieces, but the Rams have a little more little more food in the cupboard. They got a little bit more talent. You know, could this Rams team, dare I say, possibly make a playoff run this year?
3: Chip, I mean, I would absolutely say yes at this at this stage of the game. Again, it's quite early, quite premature. I'm, I'm making Super Bowl predictions already, but uh, the <laughs> fact of the matter is, based on the small sample size that we have from the NFC West, uh, the, the the LA Rams look like they could be the class of that division. It's it's hard yeah. to imagine, but we you know we saw we saw what happened in the second half with the Arizona Cardinals um, on on Monday night. Dallas handled business and, and made that team really look, you know, second rate. And, and I don't think pull out of that that tier, if you will. I, I just don't think that they have it, especially with you no know, David Johnson in particular. We, we've talked extensively, and we, the Seattle Seahawks are, are consistently year in and year out one of the Savage Burns' favorite whipping boy teams. Boy, um, but they, they their are. issues are clear. There is no question about it that the offensive line is struggling again. You know, Russell Wilson, he, he certainly, um, you know, he made a, a, a nice second-half attempt, if you will, to uh, to get that team back into that game against the Titans. But the Titans punched him in the mouth, and quite frankly, they, they pretty much knocked him to the floor. They might not have knocked him out, but they certainly had, had their way with the Seattle Seahawks. So I'm not liking what I'm seeing there. I totally agree with you with San Fran. They're, they're at least a year away. Uh, the one player I'm, I'm really, really missing seeing on the football field, I was very excited to uh, to see play. He left early, I think, in the first quarter of week one, was Reuben Foster, the linebacker from Alabama. Yeah. I really, really like yeah. what that kid brings to the table. I loved what I saw him in preseason. So it's unfortunate we haven't been able to see him. But the Rams, getting all the way back to them, love what they're doing. Of course, all roads lead through and to Buffalo. And Sammy Watkins mm-hmm. and Robert Wood, their two starting uh, wide receivers from last season, were featured prominently in that game, both over hundred yards. Sammy Watkins, of course he he uh incurred a concussion at the end of the game with the uh <laughs> I think it was the game winning touchdown that he scored, but nonetheless Todd Gurley had a great ball game as well, and you mentioned Jared Goff. Really like, like like what I'm seeing out of that kid and um I think he's got a bright future. He really looks like he's getting it and uh that's encouraging for that football team. And to answer the question, I think they're gonna win the division, Chip. I think the the LA Rams. Yeah, it's are going crazy. To win the I mean three weeks ago who would have guessed.
1: I mean, I, mean I you know yeah. I wouldn't have picked him above San Fran, certainly wouldn't have picked him above Seattle, but you know, uh, it certainly looks like Sean McVeigh has got uh you know, uh, he's got them kind of, you know, performing with a little bit of swag right now. So it'll be interesting to see. Guys, we're going to take a 30-second break. On the other end of the break, we are going to go through our winners and losers in the week in sports. And we're going to get started with our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer from Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. So stick with us. going to take a 30-second break. When we come back, winners and losers. Thanks for listening. It is uh, Wednesday, September 27th, and uh, we have gotten to the point in the show: uh, winners and losers in the world of sports. And we are going to start this week with our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer. Kip, take us away.
2: Well, uh, my my loser is kind of an unusual, uh, multifaceted thing. It's 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 Detroit Lions fans. Uh, because and, and not that they're losers, but they lost out because we didn't talk about the controversial ending to that football game. Uh, yeah. it, it, it really exposed kind of an oddity that I wanted to mention that uh, in our era of replay, the call going in favor, the call on the field going in favor of the Lions to give Golden Tate a touchdown turns out to be a, an absolute negative uh, and it's really a quirky thing that you never would yeah. think that could expose itself. They would have been better off if the officials had marked him short, because right. uh, on a potential scoring play, uh, if they'd have marked him short, the play would have been reviewed. If the play was confirmed, the Lions could have already been ready to go and get a get a last playoff and probably be able to gain a half a half a yard or, or potentially and win the game. But the fact sure. that the call went in the favor of the Lions turns out to blow up Works in their face them. because when it's overturned, the 10-second runoff. So you would, I, I, I enjoyed your uh, when you said earlier that three games ended on the last play. Well, actually, the, that game ended on no play. So, uh, That's right. Kind of an, That's right. Yeah. Think about it. Uh, the, the fact that, they, that the, the Lions got the call on the field, in every other sport, every other replay scenario, uh, and I'm really tired, do announcers have to continue to tell us that, you know, it has to be indisputable evidence? Uh, we got it, guys. It's yeah. been going on for years. We understand the, uh, the, the parameters. But I, I just thought that was, uh, that was kind of a loser for the NFL, for the Lions fans, for everybody, to have a game end with a 10-second runoff. And, and penalize Good point, kid.
1: We should have talked about it earlier, but you're exactly right. I'll take it as a Falcons fan, but you're exactly right.
2: Yeah, I, I thought that was just kind of a kind of an odd thing, and something you, you maybe not ever see again. Um, you know, so that's, that's the loser. There's a lot of potential winners, but I'm, I'm going to give it to. Uh, and I, I kind of go back to college football. But I and, and it may blow up, because uh, the last couple of weeks, my last two winners were Will Muschamp and Dan Mullen, and look what happened to them both the next week.
0: Uh, <laughs> but
2: I'm going to give it to Kirby Smart and the Georgia program. Uh, on a huge stage with so much uh, speculation, and, and a lot of people really like Mississippi State. Uh, I, you know, I didn't. If you remember last week, I said I thought it was a lot to ask that team to come off such an emotional, gigantic win over LSU and come to Athens and uh, and repeat it. And I, and I have said from the beginning that Georgia's defense is legitimate. A lot of people kind of um, yawned at the Notre Dame win. Uh, Notre Dame validated that by going to Michigan State this week and pounding the Spartans. Uh, Georgia's win at South Bend was a, a very good win. And the, when you have a legitimate defense, everything is possible. Uh, Georgia is Alabama East right now Kirby Smart has built an Alabama defense In just two years over there They may go to Tennessee and fall flat on their face This week, although Tennessee went down to the wire Against the uh, 111th team In the national power ratings The the, uh, uh, the winless UMass Minutemen last week So um, That's right. I, I'm going to give it to Kirby and Georgia Because on the big stage, I like when teams deliver And boy did they deliver With a resounding 31-3 victory
1: Kip, you're setting yourself up. You are uh, you're jinxing the Georgia Bulldog faithful, and you're setting yourself up for next week. For Tennessee coach Butch Jones to be a candidate for Kip Keepers' winner of the week. Hey, if you continue it, 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 this it, it, streak, uh, for the record, I'm, I'm on the record as saying that. So we'll we'll see. Ho- hopefully yeah. that that won't be the case for for Georgia fans.
2: Well, I can promise um, you but, Tennessee can win seventy five to nothing, and Butch Jones will not be my winner of the week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's right. Cole Musio, you got a minute for winners and losers in the world in sports.
0: Okay, well, I, I've got co-winners and co-losers. So my co-winners are uh, a pair of NBA GMs. That's Kobe Altman of the Cavs and Sam Presti of the Thunder. Presti getting two NBA stars for pretty much a song and unloading some bad contracts in the process. And Altman in just a few weeks on the job now has uh, five guys who've been first or second team all NBA in the last uh, in, since 2010. Now on his roster, he's really built up the calves to now be able to challenge the Warriors. So they're my winners of the week. Uh, my co-losers, I think, you know, I, I'm very sympathetic to a lot of the protests going on in the NFL. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I am sympathetic, and I hope that the cause doesn't get lost in the politics. But my my losers were the two that had, I think, the worst look in sports, and that was that was the Baltimore Ravens who knelt during the anthem but stood during God Save the Queen. I think that was a really bad look. And then Mike Tomlin who chastised his player who had yeah. served in the military and it made him essentially recant for standing up for the national anthem. I know there's a lot of backstory to that and you know there there may have been a lot of mixed feelings there, but uh, I th- I think those were really the two that those who are angry about the protests. Those are the two examples that people are going to point to that really may let the cause get lost in the politics. So those are my losers this week.
1: Good deal, Cole. And I'm glad you brought that up about Mike Tomlin. You know, as a as a political guy, and I know you're a political guy, if you watch his press conference in its entirety, Mike Tomlin was trying to say he was trying his best to say nothing. But by trying his best to say nothing, he ended up talking for ten minutes. And Mm -hmm. as a result of doing that, he ended up putting himself in a position where he criticized Alejandro Villanueva. And I don't think he meant to when he came out and did it, but I I couldn't agree with you more. It it was, uh, you know, then then Tomlin goes on right before and says, you know, look, we're not politicians. I'm a football coach. coach. I coach football. These guys are football players. We want to play football. And then, he, and, and then he talks about how he made a decision. We were all going to do it 100%. You know, he he, he probably would have, been, uh, would have been good, like many people that you and I have probably worked with in the past, to uh, just kind of shut his mouth after he said what he needed to say. But uh, very interesting. And uh, thanks for being us, with us this week and giving us those winners and losers of the week. Uh, Pete Tasker, the Buffalo Bad Boy, you have one minute for winners and losers this week in the world of sports.
3: Yeah, I'll make it quick for you here, Chip. And uh, you know, Cole, said great, great having you tonight. But I'm going to have to take a little bit of a shot at you here, the Oakland oh, Raiders no. <laughs> in that in that Sunday uh, night football game. I mean, there was so much hype surrounding this team after the, the hot two and old start the town. You know, you know, up and down the roster, and to come out and lay an egg like that on national TV, Sunday night football audience really was bad. And you know, I grew up a Raiders fan, so I'm. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I've always had a soft spot for him. I still have a Raiders Afghan in the house, if you can believe that, from uh, from a long, long time ago. But, yeah, loser of the week is definitely the Oakland Raiders. And the winner of the week, I'm going to tip my hat and mention him one more time, the Savage Burn, from the same game, the Washington Redskins. you got to tip yes, your indeed. hat to the Redskins, a team that, you know, people had some mm. questions about. What type of ball club is it? Well, they look fantastic against what many believe, and I still believe is one of the best teams in the AFC, the Oakland Raiders, but they look great in that football game winner of the week in honor of the Savage Burn, the Washington
1: Redskins. There you Mm -hmm. go. Good winners (laughs) and losers, Pete Tesco. My winner of the week is professional golfer Justin Thomas. In finishing second, In the tour championship this week, he wrapped up the FedEx Cup. And by finishing second, he won $10 million for the season long FedEx Cup championship. Always was kind of a bridesmaid to his best friend, Jordan Spieth. This year he has five wins, the most on tour, and uh, came into the FedEx Cup final in second place behind his best friend, Jordan Spieth. He ends up winning Justin Thomas, my winner of the week. My loser of the week, Auburn assistant basketball coach Chuck Person. Shame on you, Chuck Person. May the, the teeth of the federal government come down on you with every might that it has. Um, can't believe you did that to the kids to the program. Guys, thanks for being with us. thanks for listening we got to run we'll be back next tuesday eight o'clock eight thirty Red Zone sports report.